0: Hey, Sloan here, and I'm doing this segment where I tell you what happens in the show, but also subtly beg you to give us five-star ratings. Um, if you do, good things will happen. It's as simple as that. Um, this episode is another banger. Our guest is Jennifer Grancio, the CEO of Engine Number One Asset Management. You may not know the firm, but you're probably familiar with their deeds. They're the folks who just won a proxy battle with Exxon, forcing the company to adapt its operations to the reality of climate change. We talk about how this was not a political victory. Exxon's myopic fossil fuel focus left it with inflated costs and low returns on capex. We also chat about how the shift in coal demand happens slowly and then all at once, surprising a lot of analysts. Like Fun fact, actual coal usage has been lower than forecast every year for the past decade. What happens if oil follows a simple, similar path? We'll talk about it. And also about the new ETF, VOTE, V-O-T-E that allows investors to support E1's activism in an exchange traded fashion. Then, as usual, we take questions from listeners at the end of the show. This week, we talked about humans neural linking themselves with computers, DeFi projects that actually add value, and the top secret methods that we use to sequester carbons in our, carbon in our gardens. If you'd like to ask a question, um, reach out to us any way that you, you have handy. Or if you don't have anything handy, write us at freemoneypod at gmail.com or visit freemoneypodcast.com and fill out the form. And now you can even follow us on Twitter at freemoney42069 um, and tweet us your things there. Um, one last quick note we recorded this before the July 4th weekend, but the De- Declaration of Independence wasn't really signed until August 2nd. So, at least in our own non GAP world, this still counts as the America's birthday edition. Um, I hope you're all celebrating safely and enjoy. Here comes the money!
1: Here we go! Money
0: talks! Here comes the money! Welcome to the Free Money Podcast, where we give you the Brooklyn and Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that you desperately crave.
1: Um, people are getting desperate. Lon, well, we are desperate. Uh, here's an admission for you. When I hear that, uh, that little top jammy jam that we put on mm-hmm. our show, I picture myself sounding like the guy who says, "Dala Dala." <laughs> And then when I go back and I listen to the two, I actually hear myself. I realize I sound nothing like yep. that
0: guy. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit. It was a little bit disappointing for me to be like, "Wait, I sound nothing like that the dollar dollar guy." Dalla guy. So, anyway, you got to make
0: that an, a standalone <laughs> yeah. side effect, um, you know, or a sound effect <laughs> for the uh, for the show. I mean, like I am uh, really underutilizing these sound effects. I think. Um, but yeah, like I,
1: I. We need a soundboard. The worst part we of podcasting a soundboard is ready.
0: knowing how you sound. As a human being, it's like listening to your own voice on the answering machine message.
1: Yeah, which we, you know, now nobody really does <laughs> that. And so really the only way to hear how you sound is to start a podcast. Yep,
0: yep, yep. that's true. So if you're listening, don't um, do it. Um, you know, <laughs> don't start a podcast. It's devastating. It's devastating. Yeah. It's devastating. Yeah, it, your ego will never recover.
1: Uh, this is the July 4th weekend edition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm america america's
0: birthday i actually just dropped the new free money mixtape for america's birthday um on twitter on the free money tw- uh it's at free money four twenty sixty nine on twitter
1: um, <laughs> i would have to follow You're, are
0: that. you not following our twitter account <laughs> shit i don't know
1: <laughs> i thought we just had email and website now we got yeah, twitter. yeah yeah we got all the socials you gotta keep me in the loop on uh, this yeah you know Fast-paced.
0: That's true. It's a, uh, you know, we're moving to breakneck speeds, doing startup stuff, you
1: know. Yeah. Break stuff. Uh, I have news. Mm. Okay. Uh, first bit of news is a little personal. We launched Future Proof this week. Future Proof is alive. It and lives. I'll tell you what Future Proof is.
2: It's alive.
1: <laughs> and what it does is it prices climate change. Uh, specifically, we allow you to downscale climate risks to an address. Then we convert those climate risk into climate vulnerabilities. And then we translate those vulnerabilities into financial metrics. That's it's like such a cool project. Projected damages. Yeah. Uh, future cost of insurance. We even can provide probability of default related to climate events into the future. And uh, and it's been two and a half years in the making. And I don't think, you know, I plug everything else I do on this podcast. Uh, I'm not sure I've plugged this. Have I plugged we this We're, one we're trying to do a future-proof episode, but then, you know, we... Uh, oh, yeah. We vis- Somebody bailed on us. <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs> if she's out there, yeah. we may have the CEO on... At some point, if we can get a hold yeah, of her. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, well, she's um, very busy these days doing all the climate. I mean, that,
1: that's true. She's launching her company. I, I remember there's a great little story in the San Diego Tribune about her, ooh. and it references the fact that she grew up surfing in San Diego. So it's pretty rad.
0: I mean, you know, we do love we do love the surfing. Uh, I mean, it, it's that's a crazy functionality, though. I remember like when Bloomberg terminals rolled out the ability to see where offshore oil rigs were um, in twenty twenty sixteen, So you could actually like t- put in a ticker and then see which oil rigs were in the path of a hurricane.
1: Um, so we, we can do a ticker for you and tell you which companies are the most exposed to climate change, not from like a interruption of production standpoint, mm-hmm. but from a physical, um, vulnerability. Yep. And so it's kind of like a similar step on that pathway from 2016. Well, this is a lot
0: more, more, uh, you know, kind of packaged up because like the Bloomberg thing would just be like, okay, well, here is, you know, Encore Energy. Here's all their uh, I don't think Encore actually does offshore drilling. Here's BP. Here's all their offshore platforms, Um, Mm. you know, but they wouldn't actually relate it to any sort of tangibility for you. You just sort of have to look at it and be like, oh, that looks like a place a hurricane might hit. Um, yeah, and it was very no. We
1: translate that for you. Yeah, it was very industry now.
0: specific. A lot of those things, like you know, tend to be pretty industry specific tools. Not the sort of thing that you can tickerize and plug into a broader portfolio.
1: And it's pretty fun to look around. We can look around and be like, "Whoa, these two sneaker companies have incredibly different uh, footprints in terms of climate vulnerability." Mm. For those hedge funds out there that might be interested in this form of data, <laughs>
0: Dada in the form of data. <laughs> You know, I think the petition to rename data data data
1: data data in,
0: in, you know, in in recognition of its surreality, basically. Uh,
1: Well, we'll I like messing with people because a lot of people in the academia, they they're like, how is your data? as and you know it's like or these data these
0: de- oh, that, i, I mean i do like, that it's so, that's the it's what so it is that's the what it is but you have to do it it's these days data. data are plural <laughs> <laughs>
1: It would be, and uh, and I remember the first time I heard that in my like late twenties, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, and then somebody's like, Oh, it's the Latin. It's the Latin.
0: And then, then they just anyway. like, take out a wine glass, fart into it, and like smell it and go,
1: <laughs> oh, swirl it around. Oof! Wow, that's oh,
2: fantastic. <laughs> yeah,
1: that. Uh, mm. Mm. I am such uh, a change maker. Next Girl box. <laughs> 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 not that, not that you guys are doing. Anyway. <laughs> Let me get to these next data, okay? <laughs> uh, news out this week from our favorite journalist, mm. Alicia <laughs> uh, She, Sorry, Alicia. We just can't get your name right. She has a story out um, in Institutional Investor Magazine about pension consolidation. And I can't not talk about it, because it's a topic I'm so excited. (laughs) Ontario's um, university pension plans are coming together. Yeah, nine and a half billion, right? Or 10 and a half. 10 and a half, yeah. I think I saw 10. Oh, maybe that's Canadian. Oh, so so it could be nine and a half. I think we're both right. Yeah, yeah. Highly likely we're both right, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if we're being honest. (laughs) Uh, UPP, creatively named, university pension plan. That's great. Not opp, upp,
0: upp. Like clearly, Um, no one has a a sufficiently large sense of potty humor that was involved. Yeah,
1: (laughs) or '90s R&B. Opp. Yeah, you know me.
0: Oh, I mean uh, that predates me. I am.
1: Are you serious? Oh, you're gonna have to Uh, Google that uh, one. I can't even describe. I can't even define opp on this family podcast. (laughs) Um, It is. A little raunchy. Uh. Uh, but yeah, so I thought that was fascinating because we need, I believe, a lot more pension consolidation in the world. Uh, there are scale economies and it allows the asset owners to squeeze a better deal out of the asset managers and maybe just maybe bring some of this stuff in house. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how all well that plays out.
0: I hope they do it in like the real consolidation way, not the way we consolidated in New York, where we like smooshed seventeen pensions together, but in no way consolidated their operations.
1: Um, Are there still four hundred people on the board? <laughs> Sorry, uh, it's well, only forty-seven. I, 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 it, it's actually big enough that I don't even need to make a joke. Yeah, forty-seven no, people really on one I mean, board.
0: It's I, it's bad enough that I am still going through paperwork. You know, two and a half years after my mom died. <laughs> To claim, her, to claim her pension uh like it's really like remarkably um uh, poorly
1: run <laughs> by the way who is your governor sorry not your oh governor. yeah oh your the mayor? best guy. who's the mayor the mayor oh god i mean <laughs> we did we you gotta- guys figure it out is it is it figured out it's such a nightmare. sorry. It's, it's not such a figured nightmare.
0: out, is it? Like you know, so basically, it's between this person, uh, Eric Adams, who's Brooklyn Borough President, and has like more question marks associated with him than any politician ever. Like, and they're weird. They're like, does Eric Adams live in his office?
1: Does <laughs> he? Like, that is a weird one.
0: That's a really. That's a controversy I've. never. Does he heard live before.
1: in his office? <laughs> like, um, I don't think people are asking that about. Well, you know what? We all live in our office now. That's true. That's so... true. Maybe Eric is just a stand stand up dude living if, at home, the, home the, i'm really
0: I'm pulling for the number two uh, candidate, Catherine Garcia, who uh is was our sanitation commissioner, like she's just one okay. the the, the hardest to run bureaucracies in New York City. Department of Sanitation started the complex yes. program near and dear to all of us hippies um and then she took over NYSHA, the New York um City Housing Authority, which runs all the projects, which is like oh sweet if there is a worse job than being the CIO of CalPERS, that's, that's the worst job uh, in terms of like everyone attacking you and not getting paid enough. Um, you know, yeah, it, that might be
1: the paid. projects in New York city. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Nobody, so again, Nobody's pumped. Nobody's like, Hey, great work.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. We'd love it here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for building such a hey, great final bit
1: of news. Or should we skip the final bit of news and get to our, you know, special guest? Hmm. Well, I see you're getting ready in the
0: waiting room. So, um, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take her to get ready in the waiting room.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, let me, okay. My final bit of news. Yes. Uh, this news is in the uh, category of the world is a 100% meritocracy and we should all just assume, no, I'm just joking. Uh, news out today that Black and Hispanic savers tend to allocate more of their financial capital to their community, which is defined as friends and family, at the expense of their retirement security, especially when compared to other racial backgrounds. And it's fascinating because oftentimes we're trying to understand in this world of pension and retirement security what drives people not to put money in their 401k or their IRA or their SEP or whatever it is, and there's new data out this week that shows in those two communities, there's a huge pull in, um, in f- friends and family in terms of where they allocate their savings. They've saved it. Yep. It's there. It's just they're actually investing it in their communities, um, almost as if they can't rely on the government as much as the other uh, racial uh, backgrounds. Um, and so I thought that was a fascinating insight. To um, yeah, to to make the point that th- this is not a one hundred percent merit meritocratic uh, environment, and everybody has different backgrounds with different contexts that are pulling at their financial capital.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I think like you know, as I, I I've like been developing this like meme about investing vegan that I've been talking about on the podcast for a little a couple of weeks, and as I talk to like queer people about it, they're like they just don't trust capitalism, and as a result, don't own stocks. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, because like at the at bottom, they just don't see themselves as part of it, and they see themselves as you know, and so they they miss the benefits. Um, you know, exactly. We're really excited actually for our podcast guest today because you know Jennifer Granillo is the CEO of Engine Number One, what um, the little engine that could, um, famous so probably to to many listeners for um, being the folks who you know just got a, a bunch of di- directors appointed to, to the ExxonMobil Mobile board of uh, of directors, which is. Quite it's decoud. amazing,
1: yeah, that's uh, fantastic.
0: Uh, hey,
2: Jennifer. Hi.
1: Hello. Welcome to the
2: Free Money Podcast. Thank you.
1: Thanks we're for really coming on. Really excited
2: to look have like... you. Happy to be here.
1: No need to worry. This video is not going out live or going anywhere, but it does look like you're in a beautiful location right now.
2: Yeah, we're uh, north of San Francisco, and it's a sunny day.
1: Yeah, it's hot here down in Los Gatos. <laughs>
0: Uh, well like maybe you could give us just like a quick overview of like what the heck happened with Exxon and why you know even like the zoomers who don't listen to any other financial news except for this probably know about your firm yeah
2: um, yeah, I, well, yeah I'd be happy to, so what the heck happened with Exxon? <laughs> Let me just like <laughs> I mean, for a second I'll tell you the story of engine number no. one and and how please we for this in the first place. Um, So I think a a number of us, Chris James founded the firm um, and with this theory that, um, you know, when you have an impact as a company, so if that's workers or community or your customers or on the climate side and the environment, if you have an impact as a company, that's eventually gonna show up in your economic performance and your long-term value. And so if we wanna solve some of these problems around social and climate, let's use capitalism. And if you're an investor, you're already using capitalism. And so, like, let's bring these two things together and build a broad investment firm where we understand the impacts that companies have. But for engine number one, you know, our deal as a brand is to then link it to where the impacts show up in long term value. Um, And so Exxon may have seemed like an audacious place to start. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Chris was starting the firm. Um, he you know, he reached out and, and Charlie reached out to him and, and Charlie Penner also already had an idea here. Um, and so the firm just got into it and did the work around, in a way, the perfect example of where there's a company that perhaps um, you know could use more resources or different ways to think about the impacts they have and how as the world changes, they maybe they need different resources at the board and they need different capital allocation strategies. Exxon was kind of the perfect example. <laughs> um, and so we did the work on building out the business case and the analysis. And for us, it's a huge issue if we wanna be on the planet uh, in the future, Like we have to deal with these issues, right? But also there's with Exxon, there's a purely economic argument to be made about how these choices show up and the value and success of the company over time. So to answer your question, you know, what happened with Exxon was it's the perfect example of climate impact, but also economic impact um, and trying to help Exxon find a way to think about their business so that they can be very successful. You know, this iconic company can continue to be an iconic company, even though it needs to change as we head into the future.
1: I it's awesome to hear the background story. I was from you. I was reading in the New York Times, and I think one of the single greatest descriptions of the just anxiety that a lot of us feel was in this article. And it was a text message from one of your colleagues describing the bed karate uh that was being done when thinking about how frustrated it was. I think it was Penner uh was about Exxon not keeping promises except with a gun right? And this was all... But the bed karate was like, I do that. I'm like punching in my bed at, at night when I get frustrated. <laughs> Nobody's paying attention to me. Um, anyway, I thought that was fantastic. But one of the things that you make the point of is that cold demand actually shifted really quickly. Um, and that if we can... Take that kind of frame and bring it into the world of oil and gas. There's a chance for us to actually shift demand in a similar trajectory as coal. And I think the question we have is: you've realizing this, but how do we get the world of investors to realize this and follow behind you?
2: Uh, yeah, I think um, I think as industries as industries start to change, there's a way that if you if you are the industry, if you're the incumbent, um, you can. I don't know, hope it won't change as quickly, or, or not be as focused on that. And and sometimes investors are part of that problem, too. Investors can be very short term focused. Um, and so I think the example of when something starts to change, the industry or the way that we use an energy source can change massively. And, and energy is a great example of this. Like think about the way we all go about our daily businesses, um, or our daily lives. I mean, energy is essential. And so energy is essential. But you know, as tastes change, or if you want to save the planet, if you think about cost curves changing, new technologies getting cheaper, regulations coming in, uh, the way you think about a commodity or an energy market and the pricing can change very quickly. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's the case in oil and gas as well. Doesn't mean people don't need oil and gas, but means that the big companies have to be thoughtful about how our price is going to change, how our demand's going to change. And in some cases, when they do capital allocation, they may want to spend less in certain legacy business areas, um, and they w- they may want to have partnerships or do new development in renewable or in some other area that you know has a has a better profile five or ten years out. So yeah, I think our view is every industry should think about that, every board and CEO should think about that. But you can be a leader in an industry sometimes and think it's going to move more slowly than it actually does, Um, and so making sure that CEOs and directors are thinking about these things and have the right networks, get the right advice, have the right mix of skills on the board so that they can see what's coming. Yeah, We think that's really important, and again, we don't think it's just a nice thing to do. We think that it's really important for the long-term value of companies and therefore also for the long-term returns of investors
0: it's a great distinction between like the aesthetic value of doing it and the business value of doing it. Right. Like, and, you know, I, I think as I think about, you know, I, like I went through the deck that y'all prepared for um, the XOM thing. It's a fantastic uh, document. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, one of the themes that came out there was like this idea of legitimate leadership experience. Right. Cause you know, the slate of directors that y'all had nominated, had not all necessarily met Exxon's preexisting criteria, which were being the CEO of a publicly traded company, I think um, you had people who had been C- mere CEOs of divisions of publicly traded companies. Um, and so, you know, I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know, kind of that restriction as a, drive, like a driver of undue conservatism and diversity as sort of a, an opportunity there for folks.
2: Yeah, I think if you think, if we think about it at at any big company and certainly in this case, um, so big companies are, I mean, I, I guess I would struggle to think of a big company that didn't face, right? change and transformation, whether that's because you're in energy and the world is changing, or um, you employ a lot of people and our expectations on how you 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 take care of your workers is changing, um, or technology is accelerating. So everybody faces some kind of transformation. And if you're a large company, chances are, you also face constant changes in regulation and laws and rules that you have to abide by. Um, And so I guess the way that we think about it is um, having been senior in something is probably no longer the sole criteria for what we want in the kind of the mix and diversity of skills of directors on a board, Um, which is why in the Exxon campaign, the suggestion that there was a need for experience in leading through transformation um, experience in this industry, because the industry is going through change, you know, what reference points do you have about changes in coal or natural gas or oil to apply to the problem? Um, and then knowledge of the regulatory environment and and how you, how you tackle that when you're in transformation. Um, so yes, I think, and I think all investors would share this point of view that the world's changed. We're smart. We understand that. Uh, and so how do directors and boards need to reflect that? And there's also, there's, yeah. there's also the diversity of, where do you come from and gender and ethnicity, which is important as well. But I think, you know, I think big companies and investors and boards are sophisticated enough to manage the diversity of skill and capability piece, you know, as well as continuing to we bring hope. in people from different backgrounds. Yeah. Sorry, Sloan, I cut you off there.
0: <laughs> oh, no worries. We, we hope. I mean, like, I, I think one of the big, you know, things that keeps coming up in these conversations around diversity is that like, you know, white men tend to get hired for potential, whereas everyone else tends to get hired for accomplishments that are tangible. Um, you know, so I, I think like having a, a nice case in point where you've, you've broken at, at least, you know, it's not like you're taking people straight out of college and putting them on the board of Exxon Mobile. These are really experienced professionals. Um, but wearing that, you know, kind of uh, industrial complex that selects in that way down a little bit is a really welcome development.
1: The the question I have next up is about pensions. So a lot of the work that we do um, at Stanford, but also here at Free Money is, is about like helping to um, not only partner with, but, you know, improve some of the decision making at the world's biggest investors. So um, we like to think of it as like the hundred and twenty trillion dollars that's floating out there in these long term investment organizations. They're inherently long term. So. They really care about climate change they see it in the same kind of language you're speaking with which is you know there's value um there that needs to be kind of dealt with and so have you engaged with this community is there a way in which pensions can partner with you um you know aside from just giving you money which i'm guessing they could do but um there look, we can talk <laughs> about that but is, you know. Beyond just giving you money, is there how do, how do you partner with these communities, these giant communities of long term capital?
2: Yeah, I mean the the way that the way that we think about it, it's a combination of an impact activist approach where you make a good case and you bring people with you and you continue to repeat your approach, um, and and it's also you know, how do you think about good long-term investing, right? With good long-term investing, you want to be in command of the facts, continue to look for holes and things you've missed, um, and bring in a lot of outside data and a lot of outside points of view. Yeah, so at engine number one, I mean, it's fundamental to us to be engaging in communities of people that are running companies, um, academics, and lots and lots and lots of other large investors, uh, because we want to make sure... Our ideas are right, and I think the nice thing about um, the nice thing about being a new purpose-built firm in this space uh, is that we're we're unencumbered. If we do really good work and a really good analysis, and we can bring people with us, we're we're unencumbered maybe by a need to be overly conservative or other business lines, and we can go. We've talked about it as being the tip of the spear, right? So if we can make a good case, and our case is better because we've worked with other big in- institutions, or Series or Climate 100 or other groups, um, we can go and we can lead a conversation and other investors follow. Um, and these big transformational ideas and campaigns will, frankly, only be successful if we can make a case where we have coalitions, we work with other people and we're, we're kind of leading down a path where other people can follow.
0: You know, I mean, that sort of gets to this idea of shareholder democracy writ large, right, which is, you know, for the uninitiated, this process by which y'all had, you know, pretty transformative impact at Exxon, you know, are kind of building out this vote ETF to try and repeat the, um, you know, the success and the formula. Um, But like, it's sort of, if there is a more critiqued element of shareholder capitalism, I'm not sure what it is, uh, if it's not shareholder democracy. Like, you know, the the companies put out proxies and, you know, 98% of the time, everyone just votes with management. Um, You know, and like, I'm curious, like, do you think that this structure is built for, is like built for its purpose, that it can do what it says it's supposed to do? And and like, what sort of policies and procedures um, do you think that, you know, kind of forward looking companies should be adopting um with respect to shareholder governance. Yeah,
2: I mean I think the 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 idea the idea is that the company the company is is open and available to have a conversation with the shareholder. Right. And I think um you know maybe we can say companies don't do enough of that, but but I also think we could argue that investors and shareholders haven't done enough of that. And so so our our take on it and this is why we launched the the vote ETF um, and our firm's a little unusual because from an activist perspective, we didn't own that much of Exxon. Um, and from an ETF perspective, it looks like an index fund, but it smells like an active engagement vehicle. <laughs> uh, but the reason that we launched the Vote ETF was exactly that, which is that there, is a lot, there's a, there are a lot of investors out there that actually want to have these conversations with the companies and use their vote. And I think if you think about it from the biggest pools of money in the world, um they, they very much want to do it. And they, they sort of lean into custom voting strategies to try to get to the right result. And so a vote may be a way around proxy season where they can just come in to vote and know that in the case of Exxon, for example, the ETF probably would have voted for the four directors. The ETF wouldn't have said, well, I don't know, four is a lot, maybe I'll vote for one, right? And so if you're a large uh, pool of capital, you can use this ETF. And then if you're if you're a retail, or you're invested in the 500 largest companies forever, or you're millennial where you really want to make sure you have a vote and you use a vote. This product tracks the market, but we'll be very active at a minimum on voting on each company. So as you said, we have a right to vote and have a conversation with companies. We're not really using it. We've let the process get a little institutional. Um, So you can use it for that. And then with engine number one, vote, we'll go a little bit farther. And we will also do a mix of these active engagement campaigns and much more active conversations with some of these companies. Um, and for us, it's, it's, um, it's not random. It's very much focused on doing the work on how a company doing a better job on impact Again, be that workers, social community, or climate and environment. Um, there are things that they can do to drive up long-term value. So for us, the engagement's very focused in that, in that way. So mm. yeah, that's fascinating. People,
0: yeah. So I guess we'll we look to forward that. to seeing we think what comes people
2: back. want to use that voice to your question. We think, we, you know, we see a lot of indications that people want to be doing more and want to be voting. So we think it's a great mechanism.
1: You know, we've done a ton of work. This, this is a little bit, you know, this is a question that you can feel free to ignore or, or answer, but I, we've done a ton of work with the long-term stock exchange. Yeah. And um, obviously there was big news last week because Twilio and Asana, announced they're going to list and they're going to make five commitments to long-termism and those commitments, um, you know, they can be delisted if they don't actually live up to them. That's the power of an exchange. I think your tool is actually another part in this like broader like toolkit where it's almost like this new ETF that you've launched. It's, It's like it can come in quickly and change corporate governance for these companies. If if like some company is a bad actor, um, you could swoop in with like a bunch of big sovereigns behind you in the ETF and and change the board and you know vote proxies in new ways. And I think that's such a neat you know tool in the tool belt for improving corporate governance and and driving kind of this notion of long termism. I guess that's not a question; it's more of a compliment. But
2: <laughs> it, it certainly it certainly could work that way. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but it it feels like you're going after the companies that will never list on LTSE, right? So, like...
2: (laughs) I mean, the way we think about it is, actually, if you think about holding companies accountable means that they're, do, they're they're not doing the right thing and they need help. That's, that's maybe true for some of them. But we also think there are companies out there that are doing the right thing and are doing a good job. Right. Um, and maybe they're not getting full credit for it because analyst models are looking at their quarterly cash flows and they're doing the smartest thing they could do to win in a couple of years, but it's not showing up in short-term projections. Uh, so there may also be some work we do on the companies in VOTE to get them credit for the good work that they're doing and help them get to those higher long term valuations.
0: Awesome. That's a really interesting that's a really interesting thing to fold yeah. in. We'll look forward to seeing uh you know how it goes. Maybe we'll uh, we'll have to have you back in yeah. a year or two and see uh you know uh <laughs> like what, what what's transpired We'd love and to what's do that. next. Awesome. Thanks well thank you, you so much for uh for hopping on the free yeah. money pod. Um and uh yeah we wish you incredible
1: yeah. luck and we're rooting Matt. for you have a great weekend,
2: thanks, you as well. Bye.
1: Bye Wow, that's yeah, fantastic. Very cool stuff.
0: Um, like I you know it, it's it's just amazing to me that, you know, with twelve and a half million bucks, <laughs> these guys and, and a PowerPoint deck, <laughs> um you know, they were actually it able gives me to me huge.
1: You know, Huge and faith like, in like the ability for financial innovation to deliver something positive. Um, yeah, and it it is neat to think that the the tides have turned on climate that you can go in and say you're not actually maximizing shareholder return anymore by ignoring it. You know, so pretty. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, very compelling platform and incredibly professional, and I can't wait to see how big it can get.
0: Yeah, and I, I would really, you know, I've said this already in this, you know, segment, but I would encourage everybody to, like, actually look at the deck that we're going to put up on the site. Um, I'll, I'll grab a couple of the really cool slides from it and put it on the Free Money Podcast blog. Um, they have this amazing exposition about, you know, how specifically, ignoring climate change has, like, borked Exxon's capital. Really? Huh. Um, And, yeah, and, like, kind of taken them from this position where, I mean, if you think about it, Exxon should be a dominant player in oil and gas with with a compelling cost position. Um, But actually, they are, you know, they're like $15 a barrel more expensive to produce than BP, than Chevron, than other companies that take this sort of stuff more seriously and are making more proactive investments. Um, you know, so like, I think, you know, like I'm a leftist, you know, like we're all lefties here, you know, um, like for a lot of us, we're like, woo, XO, this is so good. Oh my God. Um, but I, I don't want to let it be lost on the audience that there is a very, very deep financial reasoning behind this. And it has a direct applicability in the bottom line. Um, so that is what I think is probably the most encouraging. Yeah, I think,
1: I think you can be, you know, a right winger. And, and see the logic in what is being proposed here now maybe not a not a modern kind of yeah. trumpian but you know the the good folks at the dispatch um, or something like that which is like you know i think <laughs> they would completely see the logic and and be be willing to kind of engage oh, yeah. in it and, because it's rational you know like these are real risks science science if you believe in science you know that's that it find you have to believe in science for this to work so um.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't think that there's anything that is preternaturally linked to a, p- a political yeah. opinion. Um. You know that would. You know, disc- like I. You know, I just think that like. You know, probably ninety-five percent. You're of right. I mean, I, know, I know. Are, Like, yeah. just because re- these are our know, friends, if not registered Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like card-carrying members of the Democratic Socialists of America. <laughs> <Hey-oh>. <laughs> um. Anyway. <laughs> Yo! Uh, it's that beautiful sound. That beautiful sound. Uh,
1: that means, it means to grab your, your mouse and five-star rate us. Or no, that's not what time it is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take your little mouse, <laughs> go on the website, get on the internet, give us a goddamn five-star rating. Uh, uh. And while you're at it, I don't know, uh, follow at freemoney 2069 on Twitter. I don't know, like, maybe. Um you know, send send dash b five dollars in the mail. Yeah, send me five dollars. Give in you the carbon offsets. Do whatever you want.
1: Our latest product. Um,
0: give you yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk oh. about those carbon offsets. We have questions about them. Uh, listener demand. Listener demand. But first, the first question is: What is your opinion on humans that neuralink themselves <sighs> with
1: computers? Well, I have strong views on this. I love the concept. I love the concept, but I have AirPods. <laughs> don't I don't know do if you have AirPods from the app. Apple computer.
0: I have, I have something and, very similar uh,
1: to Yeah. They are so frustrating with their jumping from computer <laughs> to computer to device. I have to tell you the other day I was on an important phone call. Ooh. My wife drove by to pick up my kids. She w- ended up talking in my meeting because my ear pods jumped from my phone <laughs> to the car. And I'm like, what's happening? Why don't I hear anybody? Hello? And Courtney's in there like, who are these people? Where, where's my music? Just because she drove past me in the car. So when it comes to neural wow. linking, like putting wow. something in my freaking brain, I want them to get that little technology right that like I can quickly decide where I want to link it to. That is the thing that drives me most yeah. bananas. Yeah. Is it on my desktop, my laptop, my phone, my car? Like it's such a big problem to yep. figure out what you're linking to. Anyway,
0: yeah, and, and occasionally, I mean, like my car when you when it connects to Bluetooth makes a super loud noise that there is absolutely <laughs> no way to turn off. Uh, like it, <laughs> it says connected at the top of its lungs, literally. and everybody like, can hear like, it. Um, it's like you have to. <laughs> Everyone can hear, yeah, exactly. So there's no there's no ambiguity about Dude. where you're connected to. But like, uh, it's like you have to wait outside of the car while it's connecting. It's I I agree that there's a lot of static potential. In, let's involved let's in, flesh you know, it you know, out a little bit.
1: then I'm game.
0: Yeah. And plus, like, I mean, you know, imagine if you got like, you know, a a floppy disk drive,
1: uh, surgically yeah, you'd be inserted in your body. 10 yeah. Years ago, you know, like thirty years ago,
0: you know, like. But like, think about all the people man, that well, have,
1: like, real technology about, in their bodies right now. Like, that's out there. Pa- pacemakers and, yeah. you know, all Pace kinds makers, of stuff. Yeah. Like, hips, you know, hip replacements that are, like, NASA-style yeah. technology from 25 years ago. And then everybody realizes, actually, that NASA technology was bad. We need to change your hip again. That happened to my dad. My dad got two, yep. two hips. He's on the yeah. two. Got bad bum hip. I mean,
0: but the hips that he got now I mean, like I was on the chairlift at Crested Butte like uh two years ago and this guy was like, Oh yeah, yeah we were and we were going to be clear oh, to the Double black stuff, diamond. Uh where you know y- yeah, like un- unmarked out of tr- out of bounds, terrain. And, and, and like the um this guy was like, uh, yeah, you know, it's my first time out since I got oh. both my hips replaced. Um and I was like, Whoa. Excuse me? <laughs> like you're you're trying to, I mean, like, Crested Butte is where they have, like, the extreme, like, off-piss skiing, like, uh, they have, cool. like, an annual open yeah. thing for, you know, all kinds <laughs> of crazy... Anyway, <laughs> it's not chill terrain. Um, so, anyway, I like, I, my, I hope that we get, you know, that tier of Neuralink technology. It'll happen in our lifetimes
1: um, unless we drop dead of after, technology. you know, too soon. But I think in the next 10, 15, 10, yeah, 15 years... Yeah, unless
0: it's, like, you know, it hits... It hits 200 degrees on the surface of yep. the earth and we simply evaporate. We're worried about it? Um the next question is oh. about DeFi, which you know, we're still looking for a good DeFi guest, fam. Um so if y'all are out there, you know someone you want us to talk to, please uh slide into our DMs or emails. Um this question is have you seen projects associated with DeFi that is decentralized finance, this mm. the, the new hip thing on the blockchain everyone's talking about? Um, that promise to add serious functionality mm. to anyone's lives. Most of what I've seen is just speculation facilitation.
1: I have some great cases of DeFi that are not speculation facilitation, but are not improving our mm-hmm. day-to-day function. So I think the key idea mm. here is removal of fees and inefficiency rather than increase in functionality mm-hmm. to start. I mean, who knows, maybe like, there's a couple of startups in the Valley that are using blockchain to help facilitate um, uh, like loans or mortgages. There's a Denver-based company called Quarter, yep. which is trying to create a new mortgage product that allows more people to basically buy houses by getting rid of the mortgage, I should say, a new financing instrument for houses where like tokenizing houses and then creating mm-hmm. owner tokens and investor tokens. And so instead of paying rent, you just are buying mm. tokens over time. So there's things like this that I think are really cool that are going to make it like more efficient really cool. for you to do things. But I can't think of something that's like, oh, my God, your, your trip to the grocery is going to go faster. I don't have that yet. Um, There's a company um, out of um, Pacific Northwest that is helping municipalities finally digitize their fixed income, their loans and their muni bonds. Shocking to hear this, but up until now, there's been no digital records of these things. It's paper. Yeah. That's
0: incredible. Even one computer involved in that. Yeah. So finally, there's computers
1: and blockchain. Uh, It's a little company called Alpha Ledger. (laughs) and they are digitizing uh, muni loans and uh, on a blockchain with um, efficient what are they called auto contracts i don't know if Effic- it intelligent contracts yep. i don't know yep smart that's what it is yes, smart contracts you. i think they're called but yeah like i mean
0: like we 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 were talking like a, you know a month and a half ago about blockchain sort of like on the you know that famous gartner hype cycle you know where like things get really really hyped and then you know, they sort of fall into this like Plateau of this like valley of despair, and then they reach what Gartner calls a, a plateau of productivity. Um, hmm. You know, and uh, there, there's a post actually up on the on the blog about the, like that has the Gartner hype cycle and yes. Google search trends for blockchain. And golly, yeah. if they don't look the exact same. Um, anyway, uh, this is okay. I think probably the most important thing we've talked about all day. Um, what is your number one gardening tip to sequester the optimal <laughs>
1: amount of carbon? Uh, real, real First interest of all, in these carbon Let's ca- carbon get offline here or, and get uh, these contracts signed for our carbon offsetting business. Home garden, home garden. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 be, yeah exactly. Like the number that. one tip is to actually get a con, a smart contract, ideally. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So number one tip I've become quite the gardener is uh planting plants not mm-hmm. only that are um kind of suited to the environment which is the obvious one but then also finding the right places in the yard for the mm-hmm. different plants because the shocking thing for me if you if you plant the yep. one that needs shade in the sun it dies if you plant the one that needs the shade in the sun so i think the big tip is like planting correctly within the yard and once it's in the ground it it kind of like it weird, it's weird to say this, but it kind of doesn't matter so long as you keep it watered, like water plants. Yep. if you don't water them, they die. I've had a few die. <laughs> uh, but if you pl- if you <laughs> plant it in the wrong spot, it's it weird. doesn't yeah, matter yes. what you do. It's it can die even if you're watering it. So mm. think hard about where you're putting your plants and the soil and like. The weird thing to do is mm. to do a soil test and understand the pH and figure out if you, yeah, oh, you got to do that exactly. You do that. If
0: you have like ground soil, uh, like because otherwise, I mean, you know, if it's like you could, your soil could be really acidic, and you'd be like, you exactly. know, why are my roses doing? Oh so yeah, well that's, with nothing you're else? talking like
1: a gardener. Uh, you know, you're talking like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and actually, a related tip to folks um, who are thinking about this is like, uh, I mean, obviously. Unlike Ashby's Garden, mine is on a Brooklyn rooftop. Um, <laughs> you know, so there is there is no ground, um, but everything is in grow bags, um, which were pioneered in the cannabis industry actually because they allow for incredible air pruning of roots. Um, so unlike traditional pots, they they form this very thick uh, ball huh. that can absorb nutrition very well, um, just naturally because the the way that um, a fabric pot works is. The what they dry it from the outside, and when the root hits no the hitting. dry part, wow. it just stops growing. Um, you know, so, so the plant doesn't overgrow its root system, and you can feed it really easily. And also, it's planted in something that has Here, candles. That so may be the tip of the
1: place. day. Was, I think um, the grow bag. You know that might be that's the, like that might be the top tip.
0: Y- you got to get grow bags. You got to get grow bags. I mean, like it, it's uh, you, you, and by the way, like every other good thing, they are like. cheaper than buying terracotta pots or even plastic pots. Uh, Yeah, like I got um, a thing of 10 of them uh, from A.M. Leonard for I think $21. Yeah, ten five gallon pots. You know, like, that's, yeah. (laughs) We live in the future, my friends. um, And fellow gardeners. On that note, (laughs) bye! (laughs) Let me get rain on them.
1: I mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. mm-hmm.